Welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Sterry, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Sterry, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My new album, White Knuckle Life, as well as my other original records, are available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, etc. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider helping get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, word of mouth, etc. Happy Thought of the Day is by B.B. King. The blues... It's the mother of American music. That's what it is. The source. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 29, last week's gigs wrap-up. Wednesday, I played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. was great to get back there after missing the last few weeks. Like usual, my little friend Ella helped out with the show. I'm looking forward to the patio shows there this summer as well. Thursday, Brian Keith Johnson and myself jammed out at Wyzetta Bar and Grill, a.k.a. the Muni in Wyzetta, Minnesota. It was NFL draft night, so it was good crowd. We always have fun playing there anyway. Looking forward to next month. Friday, I played a solo show at Danny's in Stillwater, Minnesota. One of the busiest nights I've ever seen there. Golfing folks are starting to come back in. Side note, the fish tacos there are to die for. Saturday, Mr. Brian K. Johnson and myself made our way down to Star Prairie, Wisconsin to rock out at Star Prairie Sports Bar. It was supposed to be the kickoff of our new group with Allie Gray, but she had a bad cold and wasn't able to sing that night. No worries, we'll be rocking out with the trio very soon. Upcoming shows, Wednesday, May 4th, 2016. I'll be performing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 8 to 10 p.m. Friday, May 6th, 2016, I'll be performing a solo show at Ingredients in White Bear Lake, Minnesota from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Saturday, May 7th, 2016, Mr. Brian Keith Johnson and I will finally be heading back to Breezy Point, Minnesota to rock out at JJ's Pub from 5 to 9 p.m. Guest this week is part three of three with Minnesota music blues legend Pat Hayes of Lamont Cranston Blues Band. We discuss opening for the Rolling Stones, his legacy, touring with Bonnie Raitt, etc. Enjoy the conversation! Mr. Pat Hayes of Lamont Cranston. Thank you so much for doing a part three on the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. We are still here at Pat's beautiful home by Lake Minnetonka. It's been an awesome afternoon talking blues harp, talking artwork, uh, talking just great blues stories, stories on the road, etc. We're going to do a part three here. Um, I believe it was during your Upper Mississippi Shakedown 
era or heyday there, you got invited to tour with the Rolling Stones. Yeah. So we're going to do an episode of Pat Hayes talking Rolling Stones <laughs> for part three here. And thank you guys for tuning in. Mr. Pat Hayes. Howdy. How you doing? <laughs> well, okay. You want me to start in the beginning. Now, see, this gig was not planned with the Stones. We found out that morning that we're playing with them that night. If I would have known in months in advance, I would have been a nervous wreck. I would have been, like, shaken in my boots. Because when I was 14, I thought Mick Jagger was the coolest thing ever walked the face of the earth. You can hear my uh, neighbor's dogs here. They're kind of a pain. Oh, it's just ambiance. It's all good. They'll, they'll shut them up. See, they don't sound like regular dogs. They sound like the Baskerville Hounds of Hell. <laughs> The hounds of the basket. If it was Muddy Waters doing a dog impression, that's a whole other deal. <laughs> well, okay, let's get back here to the story. We were playing. Here's the story. It starts at the caboose. We had four. We would do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the caboose. We were down there. This is late November. We played Thursday night at the caboose. There was 25 inches of snow that night. There was about 35 people in the caboose. We end the night, we go home, I go to sleep, I wake up in the morning, 11 o'clock, phone call. Pat, if you can get to the, the band together by 2 o'clock and get to the airport, you can open for the Rolling Stones tonight in St. Louis at the Checkered Dome. It was Randy Levy. And I went, oh my God. Okay, man, I'll get the band. He said, he said I'll go get the equipment out of the caboose. We'll just pull right out of the caboose. And uh, I said, I'll get the band. I said, call, call the band. So I start calling. And I call the first guy. He's, I say, hey, man, get your bags packed. We're going to open for the Stones in, in St. Louis tonight. He's like, Pat, are you on acid again? Did you drop? Did somebody give you acid? I know, man. Get ready to go. Let's go, man. I don't have time to explain. Just get it together. A cab will be there to get you, man. And they call my brother and his girlfriend going, well, I want to go too. I said, no, there's no, you can't go. Well, then he can't go either. I said, I don't have time to argue. Let's go, let's go. And blah, blah, blah. We got to hold everybody and we got them to the airport. By 2 o'clock, we're on the plane. We're flying to, to St. Louis. It happened so fast. See, I didn't have a chance to get nervous. It was go, go, go. You didn't have a chance to sit around and get nervous. You hopped in a plane. It's only an hour and a half flight to St. Louis. Yeah. And next thing you know, we're out of the plane, we're running to a hotel, we're changing, we're getting in a, a van, we're, we're pulling back. Next thing we're backstage in the checker dome, and Mick Jagger's in the dressing room. And uh, I was so nervous to see him, I, wouldn't even, I couldn't even speak, you know. <laughs> and I was over in the corner getting my stage outfit on, which was an outfit right out of 1964 London. I had on one of them jackets with the black velvet collar, the tight jackets, the, the tight pants, beetle boots. Not, what year was this now? 82, 81, 82. Okay. I was dressed just looking like a guy out of 1964 London. <laughs> I had a shag hairdo. I had the, this tab collar and the, the tight pants and the beetle boots on. And Mick Jagger looked at me like, what is this? Like he's seen something out of the past. <laughs> and he said, if they holler for the Stones, tell them to go F themselves and play another half hour. 
That's what he said? Yeah, he said, if they holler for the stones, tell them to F themselves. And, well, it didn't say F, you know. Yeah, of course. I'm cleaning it up for the children out there. But he... Uh. He was real nice to us. He said, just go on out there and if they holler for the stones, play another half hour. Wow. We were only playing a half hour. And they were giving us only $500 a night. We were getting two grand, three grand at the caboose. We lost a lot of them. We lost five, 6,000 bucks to do this. But what am I going to say? Oh, sorry, Mick. We're playing at the caboose. We can't go. You know, you got to go. Got to go. So <laughs> now we get, the funny thing was, I wasn't nervous at all when I got on that stage. Because their equipment, see, our equipment never made it in the plane that night. It got lost in the plane. Well, you can use the stones, kid. Well, their their sound crew was super nice, man. They These are the best sound guys in the world and the nicest ones. And we ran into some before that were not nice when we were playing with Molly Hatchet. Those guys were trying to sabotage us, not these guys. They were making everything just so easy for us. They said, you can use the stones, kid. <laughs> no problem. I got, they were using boogies, you know, the boogie amps. That was the first time I used that, and it sounded great to me. And when I walked out on that stage, and there were 65,000 people there. It was an amazing amount of people. But it was just like one big caboose party to me. It was just a big drinking, fun, whoop-de-doo boogie party. And it, I wasn't nervous, and the equipment sounded so good. That it, to me, it was almost like the first time I ever sang on a PA system. It was a, like a totally great experience playing that, uh, that equipment. I was having so much fun with just the equipment, I didn't worry about anything. <laughs> to me, this, I was like a kid in a, you know, in, a, in a candy store with this great sound. And plus, I kept going, ladies and gentlemen, the stones are here. And woo! <laughs> you know? It was kind of like, you ever seen like when a comedian like Rodney Dangerfield would open for Jack Jones, you know? Orange balls, I'll have a box of those, give me a box of those naked lady tees, and give me two of those, give me six of those. Oh, this is the worst looking hat I ever saw. Well, you buy a hat like this, I'll bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? Oh, it looks good on you, though. He'd be like, yeah, me and Jack are good buddies. Yeah. Know, we, we had breakfast. This, you, know, you know, he's a wonderful guy. Anybody seen the show yet? Yeah, we seen the show. It's great. What do you see the, the show? Jack Jones tonight. Well, I was doing that. I was like, the stones are here. And, <laughs> and our kind of music was a lot like there's a bluesy rock. You yeah. know? So we got along really good on that, on that tour. See, that was the tour that Prince only lasted 12 minutes. He got booed off stage. He got so much stuff thrown at him. He only lasted 12 minutes. Wow. Those Stones fans, they don't allow no monkey business. No. What record were they promoting at that time? Stop me up. Isn't that? Yeah. Awesome. That's a big record too there, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they so to me I was having a ball. You know, I had a ball doing that. And we didn't get booed. We you know, you know, we made it through a half hour it went by so fast and next thing it was over, then it was down to Iowa to Cedar Falls, some great big auditorium there, and then it was come back home to Saint Paul, Civic Center. 
And now the stray cats, see what happened was the stray cats were supposed to open. And they wanted more money or something. And they said, we are not opening tonight. They did that in St. Louis. That's why the Stones needed an opening act. Because the Stray Cats pulled out. And um, see, we had given Randy Levy. Randy Levy had given Bill Graham a tape of the Cranston's doing with our Shakedown album. Yeah. And so Levy said, why don't you try to get... Because Levy was our manager then. And it was like, well... We want our band to open for the Stones if they can, you know. Well, when this happened, I'm sure Bill Graham that morning, he sticks the tape in, goes, these guys sound good. Let's get them down here. That's how we got that gig. But then the, the next one, now the Stray Cats are back on the show. They decided, oh, man, we screwed up. We want to get, we got these Cransons, and so we're getting back on the show. That's where we met the, uh, the Stray Cats. So then it was Stray Cats, Cranson. No, Cranson, Stray Cats, and, and the... Wow. Uh, and the Stones, so there was. They were really nice to us. Uh, um, Setzer was really nice, and they they had a great big, huge, uh, like a great big suitcase full of hair pomades and grease and stuff. They had like six foot, six inch high pompadours and stuff. Now the funny thing was, I was just over here at the grocery store last a few months ago. And there's Setzer in line right in front of me. Really? Yeah. Oh. I said, hey, Brian, I'm Pat Hayes, Lamont Cranston, man. Remember me, man? No. I said, well, we opened for you with the Stones in 1982, man. Like 35 years ago? Like, I'm going to remember that. You didn't know who you were? <laughs> no. And I thought, well, well it's touche, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to bother you anymore. You know, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, don't you? You remember me, man? Yeah. You know, so he can remember it. Well, to him, it's no big deal. But to me, it's a, that was a, probably one of the biggest gigs of our lives. So we had a ball on that one. And then when it came to St. Paul, um, a lot of people said, well, we know the Cransons. We come in late. You know, so like when we started, the place wasn't that full. A lot of people said, yeah, we can see them any day of the week. So we don't mind getting there late. Jesse Ventura was uh, was the announcer that night. Son of a bitch is dug in like an Alabama tick. You're hit. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. Wow. But the backstages was was crazy because they had all sorts of food and they had these jugglers and magicians and the Stones basically hid. They didn't come out very much. They um they came out. They told Levy, well they they thought we did good, but um. They didn't talk too much. They kept to themselves pretty much. And Mick Jagger had a, like a workout room back there. He'd be working out. And then right before stage time, he'd run right out there. That's when he had that jumpsuit, the thing, little sports with the, with the knee pads and yeah. stuff, you know. Very athletic. And then he would just run back, and they'd run in a truck and gone. After their show, they'd hop in a truck, a van with, you know, dark windows, and they'd run to the airport. See, they were stationed in Chicago, Playboy Club. That was where they were staying. And they would fly out to their gig and they'd fly right back. They'd fly right back and they'd fly. And then 
then they went on another part of the country and made another, you know, headquarters and they just fly out and fly back. So they didn't stick around. And, you know, we didn't talk to them very much or anything. But um, that was really great. Wow. That's quite the story there, Pat. Um, so, oh, I don't even know what to even say after that. That's that's amazing. Opening for the Rolling Stones, that's something else. Well, Bruce went out with Johnny Lang. <clears throat> when Bruce went... See, we when we broke up and Bruce went with Johnny Lang, you know, he wrote Lie to Me. Mm -hmm. So uh, jo Johnny Lang opened for the Stones. I think he, that Bruce talked to him more to him. But, you know, he's not going to go around tooting his horn or, or talking to him. Like I do about my, all my famous people I know, and you know, <laughs> dropping names and stuff. So, is there any other big concerts, events, etc., that stand out to you over your amazing career? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, see, I think that Bonnie Raitt. Yeah, I was in her band in 1990 when she won all the Grammys. She asked me to be in her band, and um, that summer I toured with her after she won all those Grammys with that record, um, Nick of Time. Nick of Time. But see, that was Wilson on get on harp on that record. Kim. Yeah, Kim played those harp parts. But so when we ran into Kim in Texas, he says, Chase, you better not be playing my parts, Chase. I says, Kim, I can't play your parts. What are you talking about? But uh, that tour, I would say, is probably high point, one of the high points of my career, of course. Um, there was some really great collaborations with people that came backstage and stuff there because um, she was pretty popular and a lot of people really liked her. And she had Charles Brown opening the show and we were all riding the, in the same bus and Charles Brown was just telling these great stories of course Charles Brown you know who he is don't you the piano player he was like Ray Charles was influenced by Charles Brown and he had stories he had his memory was really clear at that time he could tell us these stories that were really something down to the last details and and that was really great. Bells will be ringing The glad, glad news Oh, what a Christmas To have blues uh, We had some fantastic shows on that tour. It was all summer of 1990. And playing these great outdoor venues, you know, these sheds out, they call them traveling all around. We had two buses traveling around. And um, we threw our bicycles in the, in the bus. And we, during the daytime, me and Bonnie would get on our bikes and she'd sort of put on a disguise and we'd ride around. We'd ride out five or six miles and come back, you know, kind of a little workout. And we were in beautiful places like Columbia River Gorge and uh, wow. fantastic places. And we're making a lot of money and... Uh, I wound up spending all of it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Wow, that's probably never the first time a rock and roll star has ever done that. No, I can't. well, see, I thought I was, I was going to get asked for the next tour, but no, I wasn't asked for that on the next tour. Oh boy! So I had, I figured, well, I'll blow my dough now. I was mostly paying off taxes, back taxes, because <laughs> they kept a lot of tax out. Because I was, a, I was making a lot of money, so they kept a lot of my tax out, and I, and I had to pay that back to my back taxes. And yeah. I blew, I was out there with my, I had, I said, okay, you just deposit my money into my bank account back home. And I got my cash card. I'm running all over the country, blowing dough on fine clothes. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Um, so in 2012, you guys released a record called Lamont Cranston with Bruce McCabe. Um, do you guys, what do you guys have coming forward here? Well, what I'm looking at now is um, it's hardly worth it to make a CD anymore. You know, you don't make any money on it no more. You don't, you know, I don't, I'm trying to get into the latest technologies and things a little bit or get somebody who knows about it to help me. Um, but I, I'm kind of old school guy and I'm, I, I'm really, I, I like my organic life and I like to, to be around nature and the whole online world is not really that appealing to me. I I like the natural world. You can tell that by these trees here. Oh yeah. It seems to me that it's not natural to look in a screen all day, and the sounds that you get from at least from your phone are no good. The sound that you that are reproduced, unless you have a really good system to reproduce your 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 streaming whatever you're streaming or whatever. And I think the days of the album are kind of going out. It's getting to be like it used to be in the 50s where in the 60s where the single was the big thing. You know, the albums didn't take off until mid-60s. It was always the single, the next single. Then like Elvis, you know, he'd wind up with 10 hot singles, then he'd put them all in one album. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not opposed to uh, working like that. And I've been writing, so it's been a while since I released an album. And when you're talking about it, was four years ago, I think. Yeah. And... We recorded about 35 songs at that session. And so I still have a bunch of those songs, but they're not finished. I have about 70 original songs that are that I've written right now Whoa. that are ready to go. But I'm so lazy and <laughs> that I don't go down and work on them. And I can't really blow any any dough. But it's kind of like you're, when you go to record now, it's more like a promotion of your show. Yeah. You, you have to record now, and you have to make videos and stuff. People want to see a DVD. And so, but what I'm doing is I'm going out, I'm writing these tunes, I'm trying to get them at, when I have a sound check somewhere. We don't have much rehearsals, but I'm going to have to change that. I'm going to start rehearsing and learning these tunes and getting them out because I feel like if I was gone, all this stuff would just go to, no, to nothing. You know, I have a whole bunch of cassettes. See those cassettes down there? That's a lot of cassettes. I've got a whole big, twice as many of that, of original tunes on those cassettes. And if, if I died tomorrow, somebody would get these cassettes and they'd dig through and say, oh, my God, he had all these great ideas that were half done. Yeah. Um, you know, Bruce used to help me write a lot of songs. He might help me. And I can finish these if I put my mind to it. I've got 30, 40 that are, that are finished. But I want to get those things recorded and get them 
down for posterity's sake, especially because that's my legacy. It's it's actually I'm starting to realize now that it's not about the money. It's not about the money. It's about the legacy that I'm going to leave, and that's what it's all about. That's one of the reasons I started to play in the first place, you know, uh, to turn people on to this music or share feelings. It's really not about the money. So I'm getting to the point now where I'm getting to the point where I'm ready to go in the studio again. And plus we've got, when Steve Raitt died, he record, he was our sound man from 76 to 87. He recorded, that's Bonnie Raitt's brother now, and he, he was living here. He'd get up and sing with us and everything. He was a great singer. He couldn't remember the words, though. <laughs> that was the problem. But he recorded all these shows, and when he died, I got the cassettes of them. I've got about 35 shows from 76 to 87, and some of these are pristinely mixed. I mean, like an album-quality really? mix. And they're right there. And we have it. We've, we've moved it down to, like, a flash... Flash drives or whatever yeah we've got it digitized too so so they're not going to deteriorate that you know we've got all these shows that really should see the light of day because some of them are awesome could you release it as a box set or something like that for that's what i'm thinking i'm thinking something like that um i've been talking about doing this for a while now uh, but we didn't want to have to pay the problem is when we get into all these songs that you've got the royalties for all these different writers yeah. And I was thinking of maybe just doing only my originals or Bruce's originals, you know, the ones that we wrote, because then we won't have to monkey with tracking down all the uh, the songwriters and getting everything, all the paperwork together. Yeah. But if I, some of them covers are awesome, though. Man. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, when I got that stuff, I was blown away, and I thought, you know, this is great stuff. It's got to see the light of day. So I'm hoping to have that come out. I'm hoping to put up a site, you know, with all this, all our stuff, all these old shows, the best re, uh, outtakes, all the old outtakes, all the current records, and the new stuff that we're going to be doing. Oh, that's spectacular. Like some kind of website that features all your content? Yeah, every, just everything. Because right now, you can go online, you can find our records all over, you know, different spots. And, of course, there's collectors that are selling them, you know, and then there's, you can find our music, but it's all scattered all over, and I'm not getting any royalties from them. And I think somebody's pocketing money, but it's just so little of money. Squeaking. What was that chair? Was that the uh, chair? That was the chair squeaking. Yeah, folks, that, that, Mark, uh, that was Mark's chair, not mine. Not mine. <laughs> that was, yeah, my chair. <laughs> I was looking you guys up on iTunes. I could find a few records, but you, you guys have released a million albums, so you had to be... Awesome. It was like it was 14. To, to yeah, you want one here. simple place where you just simply go there, bing, bing, bing. So I'm trying to get somebody to help me do this, right? Yeah. Um, off your last record, Lance Lamont Cranston with Bruce McCabe, was there any standout tracks on there that you really liked? I like the ballad, uh, I Want to See. That one I played, that, uh, that, that nylon string sort of Spanish guitar, that's me playing guitar there. Is it really? Yeah. That was the only time Bob Bingham ever told me that I was halfway decent guitar player. <laughs> he goes, who'd you get to play that nylon string acoustic solo? I said, that's me, Bob. Oh, really? That's... Sounds like somebody who knows what they're doing. Oh, that's hilarious. And that's as far as I ever got it from a compliment from him. Oh, but I God. like that one because it's really beautiful. I like the one, uh, Help Your Brother, because there's a nice message there. Mm-hmm. 
um, those two. And the, the Talking Catfish, that's kind of an ecology song in a way. Okay. It's about the rivers, the dirty rivers, and, you know, the catfish wants to go in the ocean because the river's clear there. And yeah. So I was kind of getting to a few messages there instead of just boogie boogie and I, and I, I love you and, you know. Yeah. I was trying to get in a few messages there. Well, one last question. We got to wrap it up here. Um, so when I walked in, we were talking about fishing, and you were showing me these old photos of you catching all these fish, and and you actually so you talked about the origin of the band name Lamont Cranston, but do you mind sharing with us what the original band name was going to be called? Oh, you mean well, we were the moon. First, we were the moon. That was a psychedelic band, but what then about the, the Cranston. Oh, no, no, that was going to be our fishing gang. The fishing? I thought you were going to name a band No, band. the Lunker Brothers. Oh, the you, Lunker Brothers, that's no, it. I thought we you were, meant that was going to name your band No, band. we weren't going to. Actually, that ain't too bad a name now when I think <laughs> about it. That was under the impression no, of a band we were, named Lunker Brothers. No, me and John were going to wear these wrestling outfits and get in our boat and go flying across the lake with these capes and masks on. And LB... <laughs> We're going to go to Wisconsin. We'll show you bums in Wisconsin and you can catch, we can catch more fish than you bums. You know, that's how we were going to be the Lunker Bros. But the only problem with that is if you didn't score, you'd be humiliated. Oof. If you didn't catch the fish, you'd be humiliated. I don't know. <laughs> you could book a show over at the Narrows as the Lunker Brothers and start that up, get the luchador masks on and the capes and have people fish in the audience and maybe on their fish fry nights you can do it. <laughs> well... I'm a little bit too old for that now, I think. And I, I've got a family. I've got a family that are going to have to live with my legacy. That reminds me of when time we played uh, when the Republican convention came to town. Yeah. And I got suckered into playing for these guys. See, I'm not a Republican. Neither you am can I. probably tell. You can probably tell by that I'm not. And I said, I'm not playing for these guys if it's going to be a political thing. They said, well, it's not a political thing. It's going to be for the farmers, and you're going to get to play with Jacob Dylan at the Wallflowers. I said, oh, great. Okay, man. And it's supposed to be for the farmers, and Jacob Dylan's on a show. Well, I found out that Jacob Dylan is not, he canceled. He said, because he talked to his dad. Bob Dylan says, you are not playing for them Republicans, not in my hometown. So who was playing? Sticks. So we had to open for Sticks. Now, and it turned out they were lying. It was a, a political type of rally. And Mrs. Bush was even going to be there. I said, man... All I have to do is turn around and moon this crowd, and I'll be an instant hero of the. I'll be an instant hero to thousands, millions of people across the world, not only in the United States but the whole world. How fast would those cameras come out and shoot my picture of my butt? All I had to do was turn around, and drop trow, and I'd be instant hit. Neil Young would love me. So then I thought, no, I better not because I have a family. I have a daughter and a wife who are also Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a mother, my poor mother. That was your son? Oh, my goodness. That was your dad? You know what I'm saying? And this yeah. would stay with me for the whole rest of my life. 
And that's why I'm thinking I put that in the same category as the Lunker brothers because <laughs> I have a certain legacy that has to be thought about. It's not just about me. <laughs> so I wouldn't want my daughter, you know, to always have to explain to people that, oh, well, that, that was your dad that mooned him at the Republican convention <laughs> way back in 1970. <laughs> oh, my God, that's funny. Well, Mr. Pat Hayes, thank you very so much for being on the Mark Stare Mu Music Podcast. Oh, thanks, it's been bro. just an honor and <laughs> hope to hang out again soon. Thanks for having me over and the great stories and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time. sun come up on a cloudy day see you happy and the clouds roll away see your face when the sun hits your skin and the birds in the sky start singing again I want to see peaceful happy people Take a nice long walk at the close of the day. Take your hand.